Welcome to You've Gotta Taste This, the podcast where food people tell you about recipes that you've simply got to taste. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, and I've been writing about food for almost 20 years. I love to cook, and even more, I love to talk about cooking. So let's get started. My guest today is vegan chef Chris Tucker. That's actually his Instagram name, vegan chef Chris Tucker. He is a private vegan chef who also hosts pop-ups, and he was on season four of The Great American Baking Show, and he sent me a recipe today from Heidi Swanson's cookbook for shiitake mushrooms, or actually any kind of mushrooms that you saute until they're brown, and then you toss them with lime juice, cilantro, peanuts. It's incredible. Wait till you hear about it. But before I get to that, I want to let you guys know that I've been doing a diet journal. That's right. I'm trying to drop 10 to 15 pounds. And I started this daily diet dispatch called Operation Muffin Stud. It's a private sub stack. And the only way to access it is for you to become a paid subscriber to the Amateur Gourmet newsletter. So to do that, head over to amateurgourmet.substack.com, become a paid subscriber, and then head over to muffinstud.substack.com and add your email address. And I will personally add you to the daily diet newsletter where I share with you every day how much I weigh, what I had for breakfast the day before, what I had for lunch, and what I had for dinner. And I sort of analyze how I'm doing on this diet journey. All right. Well, here is my conversation with vegan chef Chris Tucker. It's nice to finally meet you. We've been following each other for a while. Um, Yeah. How's your uh, winter going? Yeah, you know, it's going well. We've been having just this crazy weather here in LA. So it's, I know it's freezing. It's freezing and snowing in places and yeah. bleeding in place. It's like it's it's wild. I think it's preparing you to move back east. I know it's funny. Yeah, I guess you saw the news for those who are listening. I haven't formally announced it on my podcast, but um, Craig and I are moving back to New York. Uh, we're leaving sun- former, formerly sunny Los Angeles. Yeah, um, right. For the warmer weather of New York City, so um, should be good. Are you from the West Coast originally? I'm from the East Coast, but Florida. So oh, I'm from Florida, we- sort of. Oh, you are. I see your you're like there visiting your parents all the time via. It's interesting because since we have been following each other on Instagram for a while, I see like. You're always in New York. Your parents are always in Florida. You're with, in Florida <laughs> often seeing your family. But yeah, I'm from Florida originally. And so I'm there seeing family often as well. Where in Florida are you from? Just outside of Orlando in a town called um, Apopka. Okay. I don't know it, but I know Orlando. So did you grow up going to Disney World all the time? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I grew up on Long Island. And then when I was 11 in 1990, my parents moved us to Boca Raton florida so south florida and and we would go to disney world i think my parents didn't have any friends yet when we first moved there so they were sort of just like bored so they would just take us to disney world all the time we were such spoiled kids about it but yeah did you you love it growing up or did you get sick of it you know it's kind of one of those things where when you when you live there it's kind of like what i would imagine growing up in la is like because you can just pop to disneyland whenever but i I think I enjoyed it as a kid. I enjoy it as an adult now, like seeing it through the lens of like the younger kids in my family, like nieces and nephews and, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. But I personally am not like a Disney person. Yeah, you're not a Disney gay? 
No, like to go as an adult, it's not something that I'm always, and my husband's completely opposite. He's like, dude, should we go to Disney? Like there's this thing happening. And I'm like, no, like we should never spend our money going to Disney. Like that's not something I want to do. It's so funny. I'm sort of torn about it. Like I feel on one hand, like I do love it. On the other hand, like I think, I feel like I've outgrown it. But what, what were you about to say? I interrupted you. No, kind of the same. Like, I'm happy to go if somebody gives us tickets. But like, I do not care to spend my money going to that place. Craig, my my husband's um, sister and brother are coming in March to go to Disney. And they are so intense, their family about like making every second count. So they it's like they go on every ride over and over again. They go on Space Mountain like four times, Splash Mountain. And it's so exhausting that the last time I went with them, I like I was like, I need to take a break. And I like went to the hotel that was connected to it and just like sat in the lobby and like stared into space. So this yeah. time I was like, I don't think I want to go. And Craig was like, you have to go. It's amazing. So we'll see if I make it. Um, I yeah, think it's so funny, exactly. though, that there's like Disney food experts on like TikTok and stuff, too. There's like people who like devote their entire like brand to writing about the food at Disney, which I think is so wild, but I think there's a big audience for that. Totally. And I think it's insane to even think that there's that much food to create that much content around just at Disney. There's even like vegan accounts that are all about just the vegan food at Disney. And I'm like, that's crazy. (laughs) It's funny. It's like, it's it's almost like these people don't know that there's real food outside of Disney. Like that, that's an option. Like you don't have to eat at Disney. Um, Well, I um, am so excited to talk to you a, because I'm a fan, but B um, I am currently going through a little bit of a health kick. Um, I'm doing a secret um, daily journal where I'm talking about trying to lose weight and I'm, you know, just very gradually getting started. Um, And you know, you being a vegan chef and writing about vegan food is kind of good timing for this podcast because I'm sort of inching more and more into the vegan world, not for like humane reasons, although that is part of it, but just also just in terms of nutrition and feeling good and healthy. Um, And I have to say, like last week I went to the farmer's market and I stocked up on like so much kale and so many carrots and so many things, you know, that I ate throughout the week and I feel so much lighter and better. So it's kind of, you know, it's not like a, not like a shocker to find out that eating a lot of vegetables makes you feel good, but I'm curious for you, what was your foray into the world of veganism? Do you know, it, it was, it was a long one. It was a long one. I started when I was probably in middle school, actually, I was really overweight. And so oh, okay. I, um, I started by like my dad and I got sick like simultaneously one year over like Christmas break. And so we both went to the doctor and I think I weighed like 218 pounds as like mm. a seventh, eighth grader. Okay. And I was like, this doesn't seem, this doesn't seem right. Like this doesn't seem like a, a proper weight for a child. And, you know, coming from the South, it was like, everybody's pretty much just overweight. Mm-hmm. And so I I left there feeling like this is probably something that needs to change. And, um, you know, my parents were both full-time working p- people and they were just doing the best they could to raise, you know, the five kids that we had amongst my brothers and sisters. And so um, I cut out like beef and pork at that time. And so I, I just went to eating like really lean protein, chicken, turkey, and fish. And then it was very gradual after that. I, I slowly over the years gave up the chicken and I gave up the, the turkey and I was a pescatarian for a really long time. 
And then from there, it was a transition to being a vegetarian and, and holding on because I started off as a, a primarily a baker. And so I held on to that, that dairy and those, those eggs and yes. all of those things that we're told like as bakers that we have to have to make the perfect cake or the perfect this. And when you get down to it, like there's just other ways to make things work in the kitchen with what's on the market today in the vegan space. But, um, you know, it wasn't until really like three and a half, four years ago that I took the the leap and went and went full vegan and happy I did. And was any, was all of it diet related or was some of it humane, like animal rights related or concern for animals? Do you know, it's funny. It was all pretty much diet related up until the point of going full vegan. And it wasn't until we watched like some of the more, um, like heavy in your face documentaries, like what the health and cowspiracy that I was like, Oh my God, this is going on in like the world and the government doesn't like care. And so Mm -hmm. it, it started to really, um, open up a different side of me uh in terms of like what happens to animals in mm-hmm. um you know these cattle farms and the dairy ranches and and different things within our culture that are just kind of okay mm-hmm. and it it did make that extra step of going all the way vegan more um more in line with like animal rights and just environment and stuff like that but we have a dog that we love named Winston and he kind of looks like a piglet and Craig recently was like, I, I was like, I can't eat bacon anymore or like not humanely raised bacon because it's like eating Winston. And I was like, well, if that's your logic. I mean, there's a lot of things you probably shouldn't eat. Um, so, you know, it's like I've, I've had moments like where I watched Food Inc. or I read The Omnivore's Dilemma where I've suddenly had a surge of like, oh, I've got to give up animals. But then the, the counter argument for me, and by the way, we're going to get to your dish in a second. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the counter argument for me though, is just about life experience. It's like when I travel and I go to somebody's home or like I meet their grandmother and they're making like pot of pho or something and it's got like beef and tongue and whatever, you know, it's like, I don't want to cut myself off from those experiences, but at the same time, um, in my day-to-day life, I guess it would be pretty easy to just cook more vegetables. So I have to sort of grapple with that a little bit. I think it's interesting because really, if you think about like at the end of the day, we're like most of us aren't that far away from eating a plant-based diet because like you said you go to the farmer's market you load up on all of your your fruits and vegetables for the week and if you're somebody that like can't stand to waste food and see things go bad you're going to go through that produce before it goes you know in the garbage and so if you load yourself up and stockpile the right way prior to your week getting started, you would be surprised at how like plant-based your diet already is prior Mm -hmm. to, you know, labeling yourself a a vegan or anything of that nature. And also if if you're shallow, I'm realizing it just makes you look good to like have lots of vegetables, eat lots of vegetables. (laughs) Not that it's shallow, but like, it's like, I live in LA. So it's like, everyone's glowing here. And I'm like, why is everybody glowing? Oh, it's because they're probably drinking juices and uh, eating carrots and hummus and whatever. Yeah. It's a $22 or one smoothie. Everybody is. Oh my God. I had one of those. It was just okay. I thought I didn't have the $22 yeah. one. I think I had like an $18 one. All right. Well, yeah. let's get to the dish that you sent me. I made it last night for dinner. It was scrumptious and delicious and so easy, but yet like each component I felt added so much to it. And so it was 
shiitake mushrooms uh, sort of cooked in olive oil until they were really brown and then tossed with a mixture of soy sauce, lime juice, chilies, scallions, and cilantro and peanuts. And then I added, with your recommendation, um, some ramen noodles to make it a dinner. And I loved it. So what what, what made you send me this recipe? Uh, you know, I was... I was thinking like, what have I eaten that blows my mind? And like, what is something that I think that people just have to try? And Heidi is the, um, she's the author of this recipe and she has a massive blog on Instagram and several cookbooks. Heidi and Swanson, I, right? 101 yeah. cookbooks. I've known her a long time. She and I started our blogs around the same time. No so kidding. I've, I've had pizza with her in San Francisco. I've, I mean, I've, I've known her for a very long time. So when she's, I saw the like, recipe, yeah. Yeah. She seems like really, really cool. Like just from so reading cool. the forewords of her cookbooks and oh yeah, and so stuff like that. Effortlessly stylish is what I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Like she just like from the pictures in her books to the forewords to just like little notes that she writes. It's just I really, really love her style of of cooking. It's just really simple. Like her dishes are very simple, but they're very very much so like whole foods. She's not a, a vegan. I think she's vegetarian. Mm -hmm. So there are some things uh, throughout her books that she uses like dairy and, and stuff in, but all stuff that's very easily swapped out nowadays with what's on the market for vegans. But I think this dish in particular, it's just, it's, it's bright. It has like all of this umami in it from the mushrooms. It has different textures in it from, you know, the nuts and um, the, the citrus is beautiful in there. It's just a lot of like different things going on. But like you said, it's super simple. She just puts together all of these flavor elements in this recipe that it's just beautifully well-rounded, I think. And it's the book is isn't it called Super Simple Every Day or something like simple yeah. in the title? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so th I think that's it's a great way to start this conversation too about veganism because it's I think people always think about it in terms of like compromise and what you're giving up. But in a weird way, like making a dish like this opens you up to like these, the uses of these ingredients that like, like I had cocktail peanuts in my cabinet from like a dinner party or something. And I was like, oh, I'll put that in this dish. And then it just looks like, whoa, peanuts in like a, in a noodle dish. I mean, I'm, I'm sure other people have experienced that, but it just, it woke me up a little I'm like, oh, that's such a cool thing to do. And it adds crunch and it adds saltiness, but it also adds richness and it adds a different texture, like you said. So you, now I, I guess I want to get a little more clarity about your life and career. So, I mean, are you a chef in terms of like, do you do private events or do you do... Yes, you're nodding. Okay. Yeah. So I do, um, I'm a private chef. So here in Los Angeles, I, you know, work with different clients on a weekly basis. Um, so, so it can look very different from week to week. I can be in a client's house cooking them, you know, meals to stockpile their fridge for the week. Mm -hmm. um, I can be doing a dinner party for clients. I could be not seeing any clients that week. It really just depends. Um, mm -hmm. And then I also do like larger events. So like, um, this coming week, I have the Taste of Tennis, which is in um, Palm Desert. So I'll be doing that. Um, and then the following week, I'll be doing Elton John's, like all the vegan desserts for Elton John's um, Oscar party. Wow, so this that's so cool. Yeah, third year doing that. And so it's just always, it's always different um, and always changing, which is part of the fun. I, I don't see myself as being like one of those people that could walk into a restaurant and just kind of be in the same place every day. 
Um, I like the change. I like the, you know, going into different people's homes and meeting different people on a weekly basis and kind of keeping it fresh. Well, now I have to ask, so you, you, you catered the Elton John Oscar party. So did you get to go, I mean, were you physically at the party and what was that like? So I've never been to the party and okay. I, I, um, I kind of work exclusively with um, the catering company that does the entire event. Okay. And um, the chef that does that whole event, he does do the actual vegan food for the event, okay. but he doesn't venture into like the vegan desserts. So he hires me every year to do the vegan desserts for him. But this year I am going to actually talk to him and be like, so you know, like maybe I should come to the party yes, this year. Of course. And yeah. So um, I haven't approached the conversation yet, but I'm definitely going to because I, I want to go at least to the after party. So what will you make this year for your vegan dessert for the Elton John party? So I always try to play off the um, flavors that they're working with for the, the regular dessert that they're serving. And this year they're doing something with chocolate and raspberries. So I'm going to be doing a, um, a chocolate, uh, gluten-free vegan chocolate sponge with okay. a raspberry mousse. And then it'll be covered in um, a chocolate ganache and finished with a raspberry puree. How do you make a chocolate ganache without cream? You can use, I mean, there's, there's several different like heavy cream substitutes on the market these days, which any of those would work, but I tend to just use coconut cream because you can't taste the coconut once it, it's cut with the chocolate. Well, I also must ask you as we take this little detour into this, your career, I mean, um, when you work with specific clients, I'm sure you must've had some celebrity clients, right? Who've, who you've into their homes and without yeah. divul without divulging too much i mean have you had to deal with a lot of strong personalities and culinary peccadilloes do you know what's interesting is that um i really have been pretty lucky i've been really lucky when it comes to the people that i've worked with i've only had one client who was like i need you to sign an nda like it <laughs> came over through, I work with an agency here in LA who works with like a small team of chefs and it's all private chefs. Uh, and so I get a lot of work through, through the agency. Mm -hmm. And so the agency contact and they're like, this guy needs you to sign an NDA. And I'm like, okay, I didn't even recognize the name. So I went over and then shortly after getting there, I recognized, oh, okay, I know who this, I know who this guy is. And he was from a reality show. <laughs> and um, I love that the reality show guy is the one who wanted the NDA. Right. That's so exactly. Funny. Yeah, and um, you know, he was just like he was probably the most demanding client I've ever had. And uh, but also even at that, he was still not a bad client. So I I've been very lucky with you know people. People tend like I'm, I'm not going to say all vegans are nice vegans because there are assholes out there that eat plant-based sure. for sure. But most of the time vegans, you know, they're, they're leading with compassion. They're leading with love. So when you, they're, they're not going to be nasty people nine times out of 10, but there Sometimes. are occasions. Well, I yeah. think for me, like the hard part of doing that job would be like when I have a dinner party or something, or if I'm cooking for family or for Craig, um, I love that feeling of like serving food to somebody who's so appreciative and just is like, oh, thank you. Oh my God, this is delicious. You must have spent hours on this. But I feel like if you're like in a celebrity's home or if you're working as a 
personal chef, it's that's not the same dynamic. It's more like put that in the fridge. I'll eat that later. Or like, you know, oh, that's yeah. kind of, that's a little cold. Can you heat that up? You know, I mean, how do you deal with those aspects of the job? There's definitely times where, um, you know, I make sure that, that clients know that like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your staff. Like I'm not right. here as I'm not on staff for you. Um, this is not a staff position. I'm, uh, I'm an artist with food. And so I'm coming in to, you know, share my art with you. And I, I feel like I kind of have, you know, even though I come from like a loving and joyous place, I kind of have a strong personality. And so I don't feel like people often push that mm-hmm. in, in certain directions. And I think that works to my benefit um, yes. most of the time. You but, have a good personality yeah. for this job because I feel like people would take advantage of somebody in this, if they were meeker or less confident. 100%. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I guess my next question for you is just about veganism in general. Um, if I, let's say tomorrow, I was like, I'm going to be a vegan. I'm, that's it. I've decided veganism is the way for me. I, I, I don't need to eat animals anymore. I don't need eggs anymore. I don't need milk anymore. What are the things that... I would go buy in the store to sort of have on hand to sort of round out meals, specifically things also like to have, get enough protein and get in, like all the nutrients that you're, you know, supposed, supposedly getting from meat. Like, how do you find that balance as a vegan chef? Yeah, I think a lot of times we, um, we think that we need more protein than our bodies actually do. So I would say start by like really doing some research and figuring out like, okay, I'm this old, I weigh this much. I'm, you know, here's my height. What's my protein intake supposed to be? And just throw that into Google and see what Mm -hmm. it comes back with. It's probably going to be shocking. Um, You're probably going to be like, Oh, I only need this much protein a day. That's actually pretty easy to get. Mm -hmm. So I would say start by finding like a really good protein powder that you enjoy Mm -hmm. and make most people have like a smoothie or a a smoothie bowl of sorts, you know, throughout the day at some point. Um, I would say buy yourself a good blender and start making that stuff at home because getting that stuff out, I know here in Los Angeles, it really Mm -hmm. depends on where you live in the world, but getting that stuff out back to our $22 smoothie, it's very expensive. And so to be able to go to your local farmer's market or to go to your local grocery store and buy all your fresh fruits and vegetables, and then make your own smoothies and stuff at home using your own protein powder, it's so much more affordable. What goes into your typical smoothie? Like what, what, what would you put in a smoothie in the morning? Yeah, we put like, um, we put like a, a mixed green. So it's like spinach, collards, and kale. And so that's packed with, that actually has protein in itself. And then just a ton of other vitamins. Um, I think that that's another really good point is that some, sometimes we're eating protein and greens and we don't even realize that we're consuming protein. Mm-hmm. And so really doing research in that way too and finding out like, am I getting proteins in just like the salad that I'm eating without adding a bunch of like meat alternatives to it? Mm-hmm. You are. And so doing research like that, but um, so we'll put like mixed greens, we'll put berries, we'll do banana um, and then some protein powder, oat milk. And then honestly, I'm one of those people that throws anything that's gone bad into a smoothie because <laughs> once you put a ban- banana in there, you can't taste anything else. It just tastes like banana. It's a rotten um, chicken or something. Or not exactly. chicken. Yeah, maybe not chicken, but you know, rotten yeah. yogurt or something. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
But yeah, I would say like find, I just had this thought the other day too. I'm going to really, I'm going to start putting on my Instagram, like my favorite brands and stuff and just save them as a highlight in my reel because the marketplace is really saturated now with different products for vegans. And there's some amazing products out there, but there's also some products that, you know, you may not want to eat because they don't do what you need them to do. And so, um, you know, there's some amazing cheeses on the market. There's some amazing, you know, yogurts and, and milks and all kinds of alternatives on the market that you just have to know which ones to grab for. And so I'll be adding that highlight very soon to my Instagram. That way people, if they need it, if they're just taking that step for the first time, they can go to their grocery store and they're not just overwhelmed by all of these new products and don't know which ones to grab. But um, I, I think that like getting familiar with protein, with um, tofu is really important. You know, there's a million ways to prepare tofu Mm -hmm. and um, not all of them are good. And so you really want to make sure that you know how to prepare tofu Uh and that you um, are prepping your tofu properly. And that means like, if I'm trying to like do a mimic of fried chicken with tofu or like chicken nuggets of some sort, I I'm going to want to press all the water out of the tofu. So do right. I have a tofu press, you know, and, and then maybe you're going to want to jump on Amazon and find a, pro, a tofu press that's in your price range. Um, so- I made Otto Lange's like black lime tofu. It was so good. And, and I think I just put it like overnight in the fridge between like two cookie sheets and then yep. like with like a brick or something on top. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's a million tofu presses out there and some of them are like $75 and you're like, this, this is just a little bit of plastic. I don't understand what's going on. Um, But then there are some that are actually just like 15 bucks and you're like, yeah, that's what it should cost for a piece of plastic (laughs) and like a little screw. Um, So I would definitely recommend getting one. And for me personally, I just keep mine loaded in the fridge with a, a block of tofu in it always pressed so then when i'm ready to use it i can you know just have it ready to go and so, and i guess there's like two categories here there's like veganism as like a philosophy and then veganism as like a diet like to be healthy and it feels like for example like if you were going to deep fry tofu that could still be vegan but it would not necessarily be healthy i mean i feel like when, when you're doing your cooking are you trying to get capture both things are you trying to make things that are like good for you and also vegan or will you sometimes go you know stray into like the very deck I mean I guess you're doing chocolate ganache that's pretty decadent so you know how how often I guess I'm I'm asking in your own cooking are you cooking for health versus for pleasure you know I think it's probably a really good balance because you bring up a great point like veganism I think we need to not think about veganism as being a diet because it's not like veganism can be extremely unhealthy. There's Mm -hmm. a ton of stuff at the grocery store that you can buy that's vegan and it will make you gain an excessive amount of weight. If you sit there and eat the whole package of it, like Mm -hmm. there are things that we grew up eating that, you know, made me the 218 pound seventh grader that were vegan. Mm-hmm. such as Oreo cookies and different types of chips and things that are super processed in our grocery stores. They're already vegan. Right. Um, so yeah, it really just depends on 
if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet versus mm -hmm. if you're just eating a vegan diet and going crazy with, you know, anything that you can find that doesn't have dairy in it. So I would say for the most part, I try to do a really good balance of, you know, cooking for pleasure, but I also do make sure that we're getting all the nutrients we need and also, you know, not sitting around gaining a, a ton of weight by right. deep frying everything that I'm making. So yeah, that's I confusing use... sometimes. I mean, Otto Lange's cookbooks are a good example because those recipes are amazing and so delicious, but they're not always dietetic. I mean, there's a lot of oil, a lot of, you know, whatever he's using in there, but like, it's, it's, it's not the, his mindset is not necessarily like, this is to help you lose weight. It's more like, this is to help you cook with more plants um, and, and vegetables and stuff, but, and make them as delicious as possible. So you're not missing meat. But it's not, again, to your point, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose weight if you eat a bunch of it. Right. And I think, too, like we have to we have to be cautious about what oils we're using. Right. Are you frying everything in peanut oil and, you know, canola, canola oil and vegetable oil? Or are you using like healthy fats like avocado oil and avocado oil? And, you know, things that are, are actually giving you some health benefits, some some, you know, um, I lost my train of thought about where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, but you yeah. have to make sure that that you're that you're that the fats that you're using are actually good for you. And right. that's kind of when it comes to like picking mayonnaise that is vegan, picking butters that are vegan, picking different milks that are vegan. You have to look to make sure they're not packed with different oils. Like right. you want to grab a you know a butter or a cream cheese that is going to be made with you know, soy, if that's something that you can handle, or it, that's made with nuts, if you're not intolerant, because some of them are just packed with different oils, and they're not good for you at all. Yeah, it's funny, because we we buy this barista brand um, oat milk to make our like morning coffees. And I was looking at the ingredients, and there's like sunflower oil in it. And I was saying to Craig, I was like, it's kind of weird that our oat milk has oil in it. And he's like, oh, that's normal. That's probably just what it is. But like, you know, I mean, I don't know how they milk the oats, but um, I imagine yeah. um, there's some, you know, it's, it's, it feels maybe not as healthy as it seems, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And they're, I think Odalie is actually one of the worst and they're like yeah. the biggest, they're the biggest. What do you think is the best? Speaking of brands. Um, I personally buy like i buy silk silk oat okay. um they they don't have a lot of fillers in their oat milk and i can get like three of them in a pack from costco and we use a lot of it so i tend to i tend to use that so for those who are listening who are vegan or not vegan and they're aspiring chefs and they want to know like how did you get from or you know near orlando florida uh to los angeles helping cater the Elton John Oscar party. What was your trajectory? How did you get into this career? Man, so I grew up kind of in the restaurant industry. My family had a restaurant in Northern Georgia. And so whenever we were on break from school or any holidays, we were up in Georgia, just, you know, working at my, my family's restaurant. And, and we lived there for a short time when I was young. And so I really grew up in the industry and always kind of had a passion for food, but I never 
thought of it as a career. So I didn't, I'm not classically trained. I didn't go to school to be a chef. I actually moved out to LA to go to school to be a hairstylist. And so oh, interesting. I, yeah, I was a hairstylist for about eight years. And by the and way, those hair. who are listening, who can't see Chris, he has fabulous hair. I mean, I was going to ah. ask you what you put in it, but it's like all slicked back and it looks like a sculpture. Yeah. That's, that's my years of playing in hair um, okay. that, that really helped me these days. But yeah. yeah, I was a hairstylist for like eight years. And I'm like, this is not, this is not fulfilling at all. Like, this isn't what I'm, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. And, and my husband's like, well, you have to do what you feel like you should be doing. And I, I had the opportunity to go on the Great American Baking Show. Mm-hmm. And after after that, I was just like, I can't, I was still doing hair at the time. I was like, I can't go back to doing hair. Like I was just around all of these people for, you know, six weeks who really just loved baking and enjoyed food as much as I did. And it was kind of inspiring to me to come back and just do something completely different. And so I turned all of those clients that I had um, who were my current hair clients, I just turned them into catering clients and started doing their their baby showers and started doing their birthdays and started baking cakes for their, you know, their Christmas parties or whatever. And it it was a slow transition. I I was still doing hair and and I I kept a handful of clients and was doing them at my house. And, um, you know, I left my shop and and I just was doing both for a while until I, I had enough coming in from just doing the food work. And for, I mean, I haven't been doing hair now for, you know, quite a few years. And, and I think you just have to be smart with what, with what you're doing. Yeah, that's really, that's really smart to use the same clients to get started. I, so you kind of glossed over it, but you were on the great American baking show. Um, and I had a guest on here a couple of like a year ago about Valerie Lomas, who I think was on season one of that, which never aired, which I felt so bad for because I think she won that season. But your season, I mean, can we watch it? Is it on Netflix? Like, can I go? I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, you can watch it on on Hulu, which um, is kind of cringe because it was so long, you know, it's it was several years ago now. So they took quite a few years off because of the pandemic. And so there was um, a season after mine. I was on season four and I think there was a season five. And um, I think they're just going to get back into production this coming year for the next season. And who were your judges? Was Paul Hollywood one of the judges? Paul was one of the judges. Wow. Um, and then Sherry Yard, which. Oh, yeah, I love that, her. Yeah, you probably know her. Um, but she was one of the judges and she's like, you know just as sweet as you could imagine in real life as she comes across on camera when you see her on the food network or wherever you you find her she's she's beautiful it's so funny because like to go on a show like that is so terrifying to me i've had like several opportunities like when my first cookbook came out like my uh the publicist was like you should go on chopped we can get you on chopped i was like no way i was like i cannot do that that would be so embarrassing because i i'm so convinced i would just screw up or like have like a disaster or blow up the kitchen. But like when you had this opportunity, were you scared at all or were you just Oh yeah. Confident? Okay. Oh no, I was I was terrified. I mean, I was terrified and then I got there and I was like, well, you, you just gotta have fun with it. Like you just have to enjoy it. You know, we shot it in London and I'm like, you just have to enjoy the process. And it was terrifying, of course, because it's an amateur show. There's 
not like everybody there is just home bakers. And so we were all like, didn't really know what the hell was going on most of the time. And, and um, people were mostly crying when the the cameras were off. Like it was a very, (laughs) very stressful environment for a lot of people, but you know, I did it when I was, I I only made it so far through. I won't say how far in case people want to watch it and find out for themselves, but you know, you really have to, I think opportunities like that in life, you have to take as like a jumping off point. Like you can use it as a springboard to continue on to do other things, or you can, you know, you can say, well, that didn't go as planned and hide under a rock for the rest of, of time. And, and I really, I use it as, you know, a springboard, like, great. Like this is going to jumpstart into where I want to go with the rest of my career. And so it was on that show that I found out like, oh, I kind of like doing stuff on camera. I'd never uh-huh. been on camera before. And so that really opened up another side of me that I had no idea was even there. You're good on camera. I feel like you should replace Anthony on Queer Eye. Oh, thanks. Let him know. <laughs> yeah. Let um, somebody know. Can you tell somebody that? I yeah, that. I'll let him know. Um, but I was going to ask, so like, when, I feel like we missed a step. So like you were a hairstylist. And then you went on the Great British or Great American Baking Show. But how did you start to develop your own unique recipes? Like, how did you educate yourself, I guess, in terms of going on a show like that, where I imagine they probably asked you to make like puff pastry or make um, cookies or whatever. I mean, how did you learn all this? You know, I think as a self-taught person, when it comes to the food industry, like, we have such an incredible gift these days when it comes to the internet and when it comes to social media, like there is just a plethora of knowledge at our fingertips at all times. And I think, um, I don't think anybody is truly self-taught anymore. Like we have just all of these incredible teachers around us and at our disposal any given time. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I learned. I, I dug into cookbooks. I dug into the internet. I dug into YouTubes. I dug into, you know, just whatever was going on on Instagram and really honed into like the trends and, and what people were doing and started to, to just dig into like, if I wanted to make a recipe, I'm like, okay, well, how does that even, like, how do you start? Where do you, do you start by weighing your butter? Do you start by weighing your flour? Where, where do people start when they're developing something mm-hmm. and really just went from there and, and started, you know, if, if let's say I was, I was developing a brioche dough, I would be like, okay, well, like, I'm going to look at six different brioche recipes from six different people and see like, what's different, what's similar about them. And And maybe I'm going to make them all and then see which one I like the best and pull from that what I don't like and swap it out and make my own recipe. Do you ever make um, non-vegan foods to learn like the right, I mean, quote unquote, the right way to do it? Like like brioche is like eggs and butter. So will you ever just do that to see what it's like so you can learn before you substitute? Well, I think that the good thing was that I cooked for so long and I baked for so long before I went vegan, Uh you know, since I'm only vegan for three and a half, four years, there was a lot of time where I was in the kitchen prior to becoming vegan. So I still remember, you know, what a real donut tastes like, what Mm -hmm. a, what I can't say I remember what a steak tastes like because it's been forever since I had one. But 
I, I still remember what some things taste like or what, um, you know, elasticity it should be or, or certain things like that. And so um, I, I think that's another thing too, when it comes to cookbooks and different recipes, a lot of times they'll give you visual cues. And so the mm -hmm. more you're in the kitchen and the more you're experimenting with your, with yourself and different recipes, you'll, you'll start to understand what those visual cues are. And mm -hmm. you'll be able to translate that into making a recipe vegan. And, and you'll say like, oh, this dough, even though it's vegan, it still has that visual cue that I'm looking for. And were you nervous like that Paul Hollywood was going <laughs> to give you a hard time like to make vegan substitutions for things that he... I actually wasn't vegan when I was on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of... Okay, I missed that step. Okay, got it. So you were still yeah. cooking with butter and eggs and everything. Okay, yep. got because it. Because I think it was maybe five years ago that I was on the show. Okay. So it was it was prior to the vegan. And do you feel like vegan is your brand, for lack of a better word? Like, do you do you like do you prefer to be known as a vegan chef? Is that part of your identity? I guess. Yeah, you know, it, it's definitely become that, and I think I do like it because it kind of it it, it already kind of sets people up, like it sets their expectations up for what yes. what you know, what I am and what I'm going to offer. Uh -huh. Um, they know right away, like I'm, you're not going to see a steak on my, on my feed. You're not going to see, right. you know, I don't know, something full of <laughs> dairy and right. you're just not going to see it. So, um, I, I do kind of like that. Um, so when you go out to dinner and you're, or if you go to somebody's house for dinner, um, do you find it tricky to navigate or is it, I guess at this point in 2023, most people know how to handle a vegan, but I mean, what, what are the situations that you find yourself in, like being stuck at the airport or I don't know. I mean, have you been in situations where you found it especially difficult to maintain your veganism? Um, the airport is probably the worst place a vegan can be. Um, so if you are ever like for us, if I'm, if we're traveling, I will prepare everything the night before right. I will make us, um, you know, vegan egg salad and just a bunch of stuff that travels really well. And I will pack us an entire bag, um, of just food. And that backpack of food goes with us for the day of travel. And it's what we eat out of because there's there's really not options at the airport, you know, out flying out of LA, you can definitely find something, but forget it. If you're flying over middle America and you have a layover, it's right. really hard to be in Texas and find something other than a barbecue, you know, sandwich. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it is hard when, when you're traveling, but I would say when, when going over to, I host mainly when, when we're having dinners um, with friends, I tend to just be like, oh yeah, come to our place and and yeah. I'll cook. And I think I think a lot of that is out of avoidance. First of all, people aren't going to really, if you're not a vegan person, nine times out of 10, you're not going to know how to like prepare a vegan meal aside from roasting vegetables. And so for me, it kind of feels like I have to take this off of your plate so oh, I don't become an inconvenience for you. I've done it. Um, I mean, I've cooked for vegans before. I mean, my my strategy has always been to cook something somehow that I would have cooked anyway. Like to not to try not to like find a recipe and then make a ton of substitutions. It's more like like I think I've made like eggplant parmesan for vegans once where I think I don't know what I use for the cheese, but just, you know, simple um like recipes that I love so that uh, that way it doesn't feel like you're compromising or like you're you yeah. know treating like a you know 
somebody like with kid gloves or something like they, they don't get the real food. It's like, no, it's like, this is all delicious food that I would have eaten anyway. But I'm curious for you, if you're having a big dinner party, let's say like, you know, Beyonce is coming over for dinner. Um, what would like, what's a big, lavish, impressive thing that you can make as a vegan that would dazzle, you know, Queen Bay? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, is it is it hard to make like a big, I think like, you know, that's the thing for me with cooking, like when I have like a VIP guest or something, like I'll go and get like a, le a leg of lamb or like, you know, something that feels very big or, or I'll make like a big lasagna or something. Um, yeah. But I guess with you, you're also kind of cooking healthfully too. So that's kind of hard too to like do some something lavish that's also healthful. Do you know what I do a lot of these days is like, uh, I do a lot of spreads. And so okay. it'll start with like a charcuterie and it'll go into a hot spread. Okay. And um, I really enjoy that for like gatherings of, uh -huh. of all kinds. And um, it's, it's really like a show stopping kind of display too. If you're walking into a party and you just see like, I do everything on butcher paper and then different heights. And so it's just really visually appealing. Yeah. But I love then that. It, yeah, but then you you also kind of work your way through like it's a buffet, but it's also kind of like an art piece that you're that's edible as well. And so I, I kind of I, I really enjoy doing that. And that's probably like what I would do for any kind of like VIP person <laughs> that was coming over. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, because I want I would want them to see like this is kind of my, you know, what I this is what I do. Like this is what I'm capable of. I, I wanna I'd want to show that off. It's so funny because I'm you know, I'm 43 years old. I've been cooking for 20 years. I've hosted so many dinner parties and only like and I've lived in LA for eleven years and only like right now in this very moment of my life, am I am I starting to consider as I have people over how are they going to feel when they leave? Because I never thought about that. Like my my thought process was always, how can I give them the most pleasure at this dinner party? Like, and I would, you know, I up till now, like if I had people coming over, you know, last week I would have made like a giant like pot of pasta filled with cheese, and then like a huge decadent cake, and then like a Caesar salad with like croutons. You know, that's that's always been my style, and like even like putting potato yeah. chips out and cheese to start the meal, and it's like only now that I'm kind of doing this health kick where I'm like, oh, I feel good when I eat lighter. Maybe that's how I should make people feel when they come over, but still not make it feel like a punishment. Like, I feel like there's got to be some happy medium when entertaining where it's like people don't feel like they're going to like the whole food, whole food salad bar. But at the same time, they don't also don't feel like they've just like eaten the whole buffet to like a Las Vegas buffet and they have to be carried out. So I do think it's a delicate dance that I'm sure you've had a lot of experience with now. Yeah, I think I think even when we're thinking about like those really wholesome meals that we want to serve people because it's what's mm. comforting to us. Mm -hmm. Like for me, even doing like a a creamy marsala, like uh, like a creamy marsala pasta, or you know any type of like rich Alfredo type of you know sauce over pasta with some type of protein is all, always feels like super hearty and delicious, but you still don't feel as heavy if you're making it like out of cashews. Yes. 
you just feel, you, you don't feel like you've, you've eaten a massive plate of Olive Garden Alfredo, you know, right. you feel like, oh, okay, well, that was really satiating still, yes. but I, I can feel like I can still enjoy dessert and then I don't have to go home and go to bed after this. Like, I'm, right. I still have a little bit of energy. And so I, I, clients love it. They love when they can sit down and eat like, you know, this plate of creamy truffle pasta and they don't feel like they have to cuddle up on the couch afterwards. And it's so funny too, because, you know, the other revelation I've had is that people like, if they're coming over for dinner, like they might, that might be their first stop. Like they might want to go out afterwards and stuff. And so like, I've had many a dinner party where people are like, we're going to go out to Akbar or something. And yeah. it's, it's like, what? Like, you're going to go to Akbar. We just ate like eight tons of meatballs and like a, a, a yeah. giant pound of polenta, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I'm only starting to wake up to that. Um, and so it's, it's cool that you've always sort of been keyed into that. Um, so I guess my next question for you, oh, I was also going to say the dish that, um, you had me make last night was a perfect example of like feeling light afterwards. Cause I, the ramen that I used, I think it's called not uni, umi, U-M-I. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but Is it's it in like, the yellow package. It's in the, it's frozen. It's like fresh oh, ramen frozen. and I got it at cookbook in echo park. Um, and it's, it's made with whole wheat and, um, and something else but like it's like there's no white flour in it and so it was so interesting because I, I one you know coiled package is, has three servings in it um and so I just I was very careful like when I boiled it which by the way was a mistake because you were supposed to defrost it before you boiled it I didn't know that um but it all worked out I, I, oh, I only ate one third of the of the noodles along with the mushrooms and everything and I had stopped myself and I felt great. And it's so funny because like, again, like a week ago before this diet I'm on, I would have eaten, I easily could have eaten that whole bowl. So, you know, it's all, I, I, I'm only net. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm keying into this healthfulness thing with cooking. So. Well, and I think that's another really good point too. Something like those noodles where there is no white flour in it and it's all those whole wheat. Like I think over time we have, because back in the day there was, you know, there's massive kicks on dieting and not doing any carbs and there's massive kicks on this and that, but carbs are actually really good for us. They're really important for us. It's, it just matters like what kind of carbs we're eating. So if we're going to yeah. eat, if we're going to eat, um, you know, noodles, well, let's eat a noodle that's healthier for us, like the ones yes. made with whole wheat. And then when you look at the ingredients on that or the nutrition facts, you're going to be like, oh, my God, this has 12 grams of protein in these mm -hmm. noodles. And so it's little things like that where you don't realize like, okay, well, I'm only putting mushrooms and herbs and, you know, some peanuts in here. Where am I getting my protein from? Well, these noodles are packed with protein because they're made of whole, whole plant ingredients. That's cool. I, I wouldn't have even thought about that, that being where the protein was coming from. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm only learning now about the glycemic index, I guess is what it's called. And like, I've been reading this book, Marco Canora is a chef in New York. He has the restaurant Hearth. And he wrote a book called A Good Food Day, which I actually just bought because um, I've been using it on the library app. And he, you know, he as a chef um, hit a crisis point where he had gout and he had extremely high cholesterol. And so he wrote this book about how he got himself back into shape. But what I love about the book is it's him not really compromising on his Italian heritage and he's still making like soups and pastas and stuff, but he's just making substitutions. So he's using, again, like you were just saying, like, um, you know, high protein, whole wheat pasta instead of 
white flour. But in the book, he talks about the glycemic index and high glycemic foods and low glycemic foods. And I don't fully understand it. But the, what I'm taking away from it is that white flour and sugar, your body like turns processes it so quickly that you spike, like you have a real high immediately, and then you crash and you crave it again. Whereas like low glycemic foods, um, including like whole wheat pasta, takes your body longer to process and therefore you don't spike um, as much and you kind of gives you energy throughout the day and you feel better. I mean, are you keyed into all that kind of stuff too? (laughs) It's like a, yeah, it's like a slow release, right? So things that are lower on the glycemic, they slowly release the energy into your bloodstream and kind of give you a sustained instead of giving you that spike. And just for people that are listening, like natural sugars, if you can Listen, I'm an I'm a true a true to the core avid baker, and so I definitely use you know white sugar. I definitely use brown sugar. I'm not saying not to do those things, but everything in moderation, right? Like you don't have to eat white sugar every day, but some really good swaps are like coconut sugar. Mm-hmm. Even for baking, if you use coconut sugar in substitution for brown sugar, it's not going to give you that glycemic spike. So brown sugar is, you know, it's still a natural sugar, but right. um, it is your body, your body looks at coconut sugar or it identifies coconut sugar as being a natural sugar. And so it's not going to spike your glycemic the same way that white or brown sugar would. And so whenever you can make little swaps like that, even if it is in like a chocolate cake recipe, you're using coconut sugar instead of brown sugar, you're never going to be able to taste the difference. It's still going to be super moist. And, you know, you don't have to feel like, you just committed, you know, a crime because you ate this slice of cake. (laughs) So it's sometimes making little swaps like that, that are really just, they, they become like an everyday thing when you just get used to doing them. And I think it's, it's, it's a really good, it's a really good trick of mindfulness once you get there. Have you seen this book by Brian Levy called, I think it's called good and sweet. And, um, it's basically a book of baking. It's 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 kind of up your alley. It's like all vegan, you know, baking recipes, but there's no sugar. It's no added sugar. It's all like um, from like dates. I mean, there's sugar, but it's all from like natural uh, sources. So it's really a cool book. Like he just uses fruits to, you know, provide the sugar in the baking recipes, which Is I haven't tried. Is he nominated for a J- James I'm sure he is yeah it, it i think possible. i think nicole rucker was just telling me about him this yeah. past week actually yeah check it out well you've been such a great guest this this flew by um i was gonna ask you usually every podcast starts with you know me talking about the thing that you told me to taste but i've got to ask you what was the last great thing that you ate tasted experienced it could be something you cooked it could be something that you ate at somebody's house at a restaurant um, but what was your most recent, you've got to taste this moment? Um, probably these banana bread waffles. <laughs> Excuse me. Since it's been raining the past, you know, what feels like month in LA, we've just been in the house. And so I made these banana bread waffles the past two mornings and they are so good. And um everyone has to try them. I'm going to, I'll put the recipe up at some point on my Instagram, but oh my um, I just Will developed you send it to it. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send it to you. What's the gist of it? I mean, is it like a wet batter that is it basically like a banana waffle batter, but what makes it the banana bread? 
So it's banana. So bananas are actually the sugar and the batter as well. So we're using the bananas as our natural su- sweetener. Okay. Um, so it's bananas, it's gluten-free flour. It has some, um, some roasted walnuts in there, some vanilla. So it has all of those like essential banana bread elements to it, but it's a, it's a waffle batter. Mm-hmm. And um, you just put it in your waffle iron like you normally would a, bat- a waffle. Um, and they're so good. It tastes like banana bread, but it has the crunchy outside like a mm. waffle and they're fluffy in the middle is and, and is there added sugar to it or is it um, no added sugar just the bananas just the bananas wow. this sounds great okay i'm gonna get the recipe from you i'm gonna make you send it to me uh well yeah. chris thank you so much and i hope to see you in real life sometime i mean we live in the same city maybe we'll cross paths i know i know i can't believe we've never run into each other i know all right well have a great rest of your sunday and um i'll see you around yeah you too all right take care All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of You've Got to Taste This. I forgot to mention that I have a cold. So if I sounded all congested, that's probably what was going on. Um, If you want the recipe for these noodles with mushrooms and lime and cilantro and peanuts, head over to AmateurGourmet.com where I'm going to share the recipe. And if you want to follow my cooking adventures, give me a follow on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok at AmateurGourmet. All right. I'll see you back here next week. Bye.